0: It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. While the justice system seems to be falling apart before our eyes, a president's home raided on the pretext of missing National Archive documents. I mean, things are getting weird out there. This is not normal. That's not how this works, folks. So I'm going to tackle that in a separate episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. What Professor Nancy Piercy has to say is even more important than any political story out there. We're being taken for a cultural ride, told that in the name of equity, we must sexualize children, allow them to receive medications from which they will never recover to change their gender. And big tech companies are forcing these new beliefs. And where are these beliefs coming from? Well, uh, partially because people in charge don't have views based anymore on objective truth, who we really are, and how devastating it is to separate the spirit from your physical being. In the second part of our discussion on the Adult in the Room podcast, Nancy Piercy, the author of the book Love Thy Body, answering hard questions about life and sexuality, does just that. She answers these questions. And the book is everywhere, and I want you to buy it. And there's also an audiobook, which I hardly approve of. I didn't do it, but I hardly approve of it. And by the way, don't forget to subscribe, share, and give us a good review over at the podcast outlets of your choice, especially at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a wonderful five-star review and also review us and say how wonderful the podcast is. I really appreciate it when people do that. I need more reviews out there. So please help. Okay. Now... Nancy Piercy has much to say about research and observations of this sexual societal tsunami. This social contagion, and it is, and we talk about it, and what we can and should do about it. Hear now this well-respected professor in both secular and Christian worlds, social commentator, internationally translated author of multiple books, Nancy Piercy on the Adult in the Room podcast. You talk about feelings and emotions having a physical correlate, and why the Darwinists require emotions to be separate from the body. This is the argument um, that they make, but the opposite is quite true. And how people, when they try to defy nature, as Camille Paglia, Paglia has, uh, she, uh, she this will not make her happier. It will just give her more fodder for her columns.
1: Yes, and, um, and you did ask about the law. So let me go back to that question. So when the law, let, let's, uh, think of abortion. You know, uh, yeah. the right to life is a pre-political right. It's not something that the government creates. Um, it's, it's something you have just because you're a member of the human race. But what Roe v. Wade did, and of course what the what Congress is trying to reinstall now with the new, uh, you realize what was it yesterday? They passed two laws trying to federalize abortion. Yeah. Um, at any rate, what the law does when it allows abortion uh, is it basically says uh, it, it puts into law what Peter Singer said when he said, "Okay, the fetus is human, but that does not give it any special mm-hmm. rights. You know, it, you can be human." And you can still be killed for any reason or no reason. You can be tinkered with genetically. You can be picked through for sellable body parts like Planned Parenthood does Mm -hmm. and then tossed out with the other medical waste, which is exactly how medical journals refer to the fetus. They call it medical waste. So what the law is essentially saying is being human does not give you any human rights. So the law has has instituted this separation between the the human being, the body, which is human, and the person. And you do not have any rights until you until the state decides you are a person. And the same thing happens with other issues like uh, homosexuality. Let's take homosexual marriage, same sex marriage. Marriage is a pre political right. The state doesn't invent that. People come together naturally. In in relationships and form families and have children, the state can regulate it to some degree by saying you have to be a certain age and so on. But the state does not create marriage. But what Obergefell, the same-sex marriage decision, did, is it basically said, well, no, marriage is just a matter of uh, emotional connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so it denied the relevance of biology and said marriage has nothing to do with the biological correlation between male and female. It's just an emotional connection. Well, the problem is we have lots of emotional connections. So who decides which one of them qualifies as marriage? Well, the state does. So once again, the state has said biology is irrelevant. Biology is insignificant. All that matters is, you know, who you are in your brain, your mind, your emotions. The same thing with um, uh, transgenderism. The only way a law can treat a trans woman, that is, someone born biologically male, from a biological woman is to say biology doesn't matter. And that's what the Supreme Court did in the Bostock decision. It said, you know, we're not going to recognize your biology anymore, whether you're male or female. We're going to only recognize your gender, what you claim your gender is. So the, uh, there's another case where the law has said we don't care about biology anymore. We're going to recognize you only by your gender. And by the way, parenthood has has come under the same treatment um, until recently. <laughs> the parenthood is a pre-political right as well. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. The state doesn't create that. Sure. You're you're the child's parent for, by biology. You know, the woman who gives birth to the child is the mother, and uh, the father was was the woman's uh, legal husband Mm -hmm. this was called the presumption of parenthood because they just presumed that if you're married you know he's the biological father but same-sex couples uh were not considered you know because they were not at least one at least one of the uh, partners is not biologically related to the child and so until recently the non-biological uh parent was not considered a parent. Their their name did not go on the birth certificate. Of course, they could adopt, but that was a long, expensive process. And besides, same-sex couples said that we want to be treated exactly like opposite-sex couples. Anything else is discrimination. And so in a 2017 decision, uh, Pavon, it's called Pavon, the Supreme Court agreed and they said as long as a same-sex couple is legally married even if you're not biologically related your name goes on the birth certificate as the parent so once again the court has said biology doesn't matter yeah. all that matters is that you guys are in love <laughs> and you know in, in other words you have an emotional connection and biology doesn't matter so in all of these cutting edge issues The Supreme Court has basically said, biology doesn't matter. Biology is dismissed as not being enough to give you any kind of rights. So this is so ironic that it's now Christians who are saying, wait, science matters, biology matters. Mm -hmm. We do. We we do, in fact, many of our pre-political rights are based on biology. And when we dismiss those, when we dismiss biology, we are losing those rights, and the state the power of the state is growing
0: the power of the state is growing they're removing us from our physical bodies and uh you know uh, making stuff up just yeah. making it up and it's all <laughs> becomes subjective and someone else has to make those decisions and it's right. not going to be what we recognize as human biology anymore
1: And who makes the decisions? The the the, Whoever has the most power. Yes, yes. It's ultimately the state. So the state can delegate it. Like some some people will say, well, wait a minute, in abortion, it's the woman who makes the decision. Well, yeah, the state has delegated it. But uh, logically speaking, whoever has the most power ultimately makes these decisions. So the state has now defined life, has defined marriage, has defined gender, uh, and has defined parenthood. So the state ultimately is taking on a, it's been a tremendous increase in state power.
0: You know, until you said this in a previous interview we had, I never had, I never thought about that. I mean, I didn't know why it was moving at such a fast pace and changing mores and social values and all of that until you said it, because this, the the law sets the table for a full uh, re- reception of all of these new ideas. And, you know, and they're based on pretty far out wild ideas, frankly. I mean, how do you how do you disagree without being disagreeable amongst all of the intellectuals with whom you come into contact?
1: Oh, that's why it's so important to have to craft that positive language, um, you know, Christians in particular are often known for being negative, right, for saying it's a sin, it's wrong, don't do it, and there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I speak to a lot of audiences, and I find that one of the most difficult things to get their mind around is to change their language, is to start saying, our goal is to show you how to respect your body. Our goal is to show you how to love your body, to affirm who God made you, to live in harmony with your true nature. And, and you know, let me bring in science again, because science itself shows that living things are designed for a purpose, uh, that there's an order and design in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eyes are made for seeing, ears are made for hearing. The technical term is teleology. There's a that means that, which is what biologists use when they say, you know, that living things, living structures are clearly designed for a purpose. The only way to explain why the eye has the structure it does is because it's made for seeing, and the uh, direct, the uh, development of the entire organism is driven by an inbuilt plan or a blueprint, which we call DNA. <laughs> so mm-hmm. science itself is showing that. We are built for design, a purpose. Uh, and, and this is again, it's, it's not just, uh, it's, it's a way of helping us to show this, not just a, uh, a philosophy, but it's based in real world evidence. The science is on our side in these issues. Uh, that science itself shows that uh, living things are made for a purpose. And when we live in accord with that purpose, that order, that design, we are going to be um, happier and healthier. I think I used that phrase already once today, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but th- that's the that's the message. That's how we get across a positive message to people, and including people who don't share our view. It's uh, people come up to me all the time. You know, I speak publicly a lot, and people mm-hmm. come up to me all the time and say. Um, so I spoke at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. So these are all professional medical people, and they're dealing with They're on the front line. You know, they yeah. know that, that these surgeons are going to lose their jobs if they don't want to do transgender surgeries, for example. So their life is on the line, their livelihood. So a psychiatrist came up to me afterwards and said, okay, so I have this client who's a woman who thinks she's a man. You know, what do, I, what do I say to her? And I say, and I give her the love thy body thing, right? I say, well, you know, live in harmony with your body, respect your biological sex. And she said, yes, but what do I say to her? <laughs> I said, okay, um, respect your body, live in accord with who God made you. Yes, but, what, you know, she asked me maybe three or four times before she finally said, oh, yes, love thy body. I really can use this in my psychiatry. Yeah. My psychiatric practice. When I'm actually dealing one on one with people who have gender dysphoria and who are wondering if they, they should transition to the opposite sex. Yes, it, it is what, it is the most effective way to talk to somebody who's in the midst of wondering about this. In, in the book, I, um, in my book, Love They Body, I do give a lot of stories. I give a lot of anecdotes just so that people know it's not just, you know, moral arguments. Sure. It's full of stories and anecdotes. And I do give the story of, um, of a young boy who had gender dysphoria from a young age. And it was was so obvious before he was even walking. You know, his his babysitter said to his his mother, he's too good to be a boy, by which she meant he's sweet and compliant and gentle and the things we associate with girls. And when he was in preschool, I call him Brandon, not his real name, When Brandon was in preschool and his mother picked him up every day, he was playing with the little girls, not the boys. By elementary school, he was coming home weeping and saying, I don't fit in with the boys, but, of course, the girls don't really accept me either. Um, He said, I think, uh, let me think if I can remember the direct quote, I think like girls do, I feel like girls do, God should have made me a girl. Mm -hmm. And by teenage years, he was looking up, on the internet, you know, for sex reassignment surgery. And so what did his parents do? Well, they kept aff- affirming him as a boy. You know, I had a friend, I was in seminary, and I had a friend who was a former homosexual. And he said, um, my, I, liked, I liked art and poetry and music. And my dad was baffled and kept trying to toughen me up by pushing me into more traditionally boy activities like sports. And Brandon's parents didn't do that. They told him it's perfectly okay to be a gentle, sensitive, relational boy.
0: Mm-hmm. It does
1: not mean you're really a girl. It's possible that God has equipped you, you know, for one of the caring professions, like counselor or a psychologist or healthcare worker. Um, and they kept telling him, you know, "Don't." The their favorite line was, "It's not you that's wrong; it's the stereotypes that are wrong." Mm-hmm. Because he felt so much pressure from the John Wayne masculinity stereotypes, yeah. um, and and all of his friends who were boys tended to fall into that. He, he, Brandon was homeschooled, so he wasn't getting it from school. Mm-hmm. But even among the homeschool boys, they all they talked about was sports and their favorite bands and their favorite, uh, you know, video games. Uh, And he wasn't into those things. He was working because he was homeschooled. He was working at a nature center, taking care of animals.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um,
1: At any rate, they kept affirming him for who he was. And it took, I have to tell you, true, true gender dysphoria is a very difficult mental health issue. It took him until his early 20s before he really accepted his gender identity as a boy. Um, and he's, you know, just a very gender non-conforming boy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But the point is, his, he, I, I often get questions from people when I start telling the story, they say, well, did he transition? Did he transition? No, he didn't. Because his parents were affirming him constantly as it's okay to be a boy like you. Just, and of course, it's also okay for a girl to be gender nonconforming, to be more assertive, more sporty, athletic, more out, more, um, rational, logical. Uh, I talk to a lot, a lot of the students in my classes are girls who are non gender conforming because they're a little bit more intellectually oriented. And they, I always make a point of talking to them (laughs) because I know that they have not been affirmed. They have not had the support because they're they're not traditionally feminine. And I make sure I, I get with them and say, it's okay. It's okay to be who you are. And I think that's what we need to do on a personal level when we have kids in our family, our church group, our schools, is to reach out to the young kids who are gender nonconforming because they are going to be targeted mm. These days, they are going to be targeted by people who say, Oh, you're really gay, oh, you're really trans, oh, you' you know yeah. if you're a more masculine girl, you know, maybe you're really a boy, oh you're a more you know a more feminine boy, you're really a girl they are going to be under so much pressure, are going to be, they are, <laughs> they are already, they're under enormous pressure to identify as gay or trans these days. Yes. And so we need, to be on, we need to be on the lookout. We need to reach out. We need to be proactive and give extra support to those young people when they're in our own sphere of influence.
0: Finally, what does it say when a um, bunch of people, a huge number of people believe that, Living outside their natural state is a status symbol. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, I think that that's a good point. And uh, the uh, the um article the study excuse me the study by Lisa Littman at Brown University did confirm that a lot of these students were being influenced by peer pressure. Um, there's an enormous amount of peer pressure these days to be Non-conforming. What does it mean? Well, you know, to give you the, to try to give you the, uh, the big answer, while being brief, it's from postmodernism. Postmodernism has always taught that new things are going to come from the margins, that the next new advance is going to come from the margins and not from the center, and so it is always. You know, uh, all the way back to when postmodernism, you know, was, came, came out of the French intellectuals, it is always focused on, in fact, it goes all the way to the German philosopher Hegel. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really big on understanding the uh, intellectual roots of these things. Yeah, that's great. And it starts with, it really starts with Hegel. Hegel basically argued, and, and, you know, Marx got it from Hegel because mm-hmm. Marx basically, uh, you know, just redefined Hegel some, um, Hegel argued that social advance always comes from the margins. It always comes from the people who are uh, pushed to the edges, who are not respected, who are not seen as having the truth, who are they are the ones you should pay attention to because they're the ones who are going to drive the next stage of cultural evolution. So that habit of thought that we should look to the deviance. The deviants, the nonconformists—they're mm-hmm. the ones who are the head of the game. You know, when people talk about artists being sort of the avant-garde, yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of, that's where it came from in the in the artists as well. Because artists didn't used to be that way. Artists used to be spokesmen for the main, the the the, the central consensus of every society. The idea that artists should be avant-garde was a very modernist idea that came yeah. you know, in the 19, late nineteenth century. At any rate, it's all coming from Hegel who said cultural evolution is it will never come from the center, it'll come from the deviants. And so that's essentially where the notion came from that we shouldn't look to people who are conforming. We shouldn't look to the mainstream. You know, that's boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. We should always look at deviants, at the at the people who are Doing something new and different and non conforming, they're the ones who are really showing us the direction that culture should be moving. So, that kind of habit of thought yes. has been growing for a long time. And I think that that's ultimately, it's that postmodern mindset that we should always look at the deviance for direction. Um, it, it's kind. Of, it, again, it's it's coming out of the philosophy departments, but eventually it, it hits the preschools, you
0: know. Yeah. and that's
1: why it's so important to know the you know the the intellectual sources of these ideas, so that we can counter them more effectively. I
0: agree. You've done such a magnificent job. What are you working on now, or are you working on another book,
1: uh, Victoria? You're gonna love this. I have a book coming out on toxic masculinity. No, really? (laughs) I I do. I do. I I just sent it to the publisher. In fact, you can go on, you can go on Amazon now. Um, It's already, you can already pre-order it. It's called the toxic war on masculinity. Uh, I wanted to get both toxic and masculinity in the title yeah. without a- without actually using the phrase because I don't think, you know, I didn't want to use the phrase toxic masculinity because I don't think there is such a thing. <laughs> you know, I disagree with the whole notion of toxic masculinity. I am
0: so offended by that phrase. Uh, I, I am too.
1: Yes, yes. And, and I have to tell you, um, I taught this book in my class and all my male students are totally offended by it. Uh, so, but I wanted to get both words in the title. Oh, absolutely! Because right, right, because that's, that, that's the phrase. Because
0: that's what you, you'll see at the airport. <laughs>
1: right, right. Right. So it's a toxic war on masculinity. <laughs>
0: yeah, so true. <laughs> you know, you you uh, tweeted out a Dostoevsky quote, and I almost cried when I when I read this today, and it said, "Above all, don't lie to yourself." The man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point that he cannot distinguish the truth within him or around him, and so loses all respect for himself and for others. And having no respect, he ceases to love.
1: Yes. Uh, and, you know, it, it also reminded me of Solzhenitsyn. Because Solzhenitsyn yes. says, the hardest thing, the most difficult part of living under totalitarianism was not the power, it was not the coercion, it was the lies, the lies. He said that was the hardest part of living under totalitarianism is that you were constantly bombarded with lies and you were constantly told you had to affirm them. You could not be quiet. You could not have your own mind. You could not have your own ideas. You were required to affirm the lies. And that was the toughest thing. Of course, if, if you didn't affirm the lies, you ended up in the gulag. Uh, but and he I, did. I was, <laughs> as, as he did too. And, and where he, he also became a Christian and, um, and, and, and discovered the truth. So, um, I think the hardest thing for Christians these days is that we are being constantly pressured to not, not just, you know, tolerate other people believing lies, but we are, especially with the trans movement, that is what's most offensive about the trans movement is that you're not allowed to have your own views. You must affirm the lie. So we are getting close to what, what was talking about and what Dostoevsky also. Was talking, and Dostoevsky, you know, he, went, he was sent to Siberia as well. You realize that? He paid the price as well wow. for standing against the lies. He, he was sent to the, the, well, it wasn't called the Gulag then, but it was the Russian prison system in Siberia. They both paid a wow. price for standing for truth. And that's what we're up against today is uh, increasingly we may pay a price for standing for the truth.
0: Wow. Professor Nancy Piercy, thanks so much for coming on the, the Adult in the Room podcast. What an honor it has been to speak with you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy reading your tweets and your articles. It's it good talking with you.
0: Thank you so much. What an honor it has been to interview Nancy Piercy for the last couple of weeks on the Adult in the Room podcast. Please get her book, Love Thy Body, answering hard questions about life and sexuality. And by all means, share this episode with your friends. These are very difficult things to talk about and confront with people. In fact, you may not want to confront anybody. I mean, what you could do is send them a copy of this share it on your share button on your computer. And once again, give us a five-star rating and also review the Adult in the Room podcast with a fantastic glowing review over at Apple Podcasts because that's the only podcast outlet I think that requires a review or allows you to do a review. And the more reviews you give, the better it is to find the podcast. So I appreciate that as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen. And give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs, and it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, Mischief Managed. Rise up.